Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This episode contains disturbing content, including mentions of sexual assault. Please take care while listening. Family secrets are usually just that, secrets within a family. Secrets are toxic. They really dictate relational patterns. And usually secrets don't remain secrets forever. And and like I said, I knew there was a secret. I didn't know I was the secret. For most of Eve Wiley's life, she didn't know the identity of her biological father. She searched relentlessly to answer the question, who am I? You know, that's the only thing that you're born with, really, is your DNA. And it's your fundamental human right to know who you are and where you came from. Eve Wiley was donor-conceived through artificial insemination in 1986 in Nacogdoches, a town in rural East Texas of about 30,000 people, which makes it the biggest town in the area. East Texas is culturally conservative. Some consider it to be the most Western part of the Deep South. And it's covered in rolling hills and pine trees. Um, deep rural East Texas, we joke that it's life behind the pine curtain. Nacogdoches is where Dr. Kim McMorris ran his own fertility clinic. McMorris was considered the best OBGYN in the area. And in 1986, Eve's mother, Margot, was his patient. He was kind of the go-to doctor, every small town especially, has there's a doctor that he's the premier doctor that everyone wants to go to and that is who he was you you just he's got a way about him he's got this gentle nature soft-spoken he's just not anyone that you would ever think would do something like this with the help of dr McMorris, Margot and her husband doug successfully conceived a baby girl through donor insemination they were elated but decades later, a chance discovery would complicate Margot's feelings about that appointment. You think about this man had a secret about your family that, that you don't even know. There's just something violating about that. Dr. McMorris had a secret about his fertility practices, and it didn't just affect Margot. This secret has deep, dark roots that spread all across the hills of East Texas. Behind the Pine Curtain, Kim McMorris was considered compassionate, knowledgeable, someone his patients could trust. But Margot's daughter, Eve Wiley, was about to pull the curtain back. You want to talk about the world stopping? It was that moment of just pure and utter shock. Because every red flag since I was 16 years old... Everything just kind of like, it's like in the movies, like where you see your life flash before your eyes. It's like, you know, the thought unknown is finally known. And then, boom. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. A podcast about regular people who turn sinister simply by embracing opportunity. This is a family secret. 
I'm Hannah Smith. Eve grew up in Center, Texas, with her younger sister Joanna and their parents, Margot and Doug. Her memories from childhood are mostly good. The community was safe and quiet. Most people didn't even lock their doors. Eve spent countless hours playing outside and building forts in the woods behind their house. She was loved and accepted. But still, Eve always had this feeling that something about her was different. My little sister is 14 months younger than I am. And when I say that we are polar opposites, I mean polar opposites in in every sense. Eve and her sister don't really look like they're related. Eve is taller and has blonde hair. She has a darker skin complexion, very beautiful olive-colored skin. She has dark brown, almost black hair. So they would always joke that I was like the milkman's child, you know, typical like sibling banter. One day in the spring of 2003, when Eve was in high school, she got on her mom's computer and started snooping around. So when I was 16 and I was going through my mom's emails, she was the school nurse. And I had this habit of getting on her computer and teachers would send emails back and forth. You know, this is probably not great of me to ever admit. And that's how I would get kind of the juicy gossip on my cohort. I was nosy. Um, I was finding all these emails about donor conception. And, you know, these titles are saying like sperm bank, which is not something that is abnormal because my grandfather is a cattle rancher. So, you know, we would talk about bull sperm all the time. And it wasn't until I clicked on one of those emails that I saw my birth date. And then everything just kind of made sense. Doug was not Eve's biological father, but neither was the milkman. So I confronted my mom the next morning to the point where she's taking a shower. I just like burst in. I was like, I can't wait any longer. (laughs) I'm like, mom, I know that Doug is not my dad. And she just like froze. She's like, what are you talking about? Once the initial shock wore off, Margot opened up to Eve about her journey with infertility. And she confirmed what Eve already suspected from the emails. Eve was donor conceived. Margot had always planned to tell her. But when Eve was seven, her father Doug passed away. This added a new layer of complexity for Margot about how and when to tell Eve that Doug was not her biological father. Eve's reaction to the news that she was donor conceived was, in the moment, positive. She wasn't sad, she wasn't scared. I was honestly excited because I still had a dad, and it didn't even occur to me that I would be rejected by him. That naiveness, I I didn't know what was lurking beyond because I I just, you just don't know what you don't know. So 16-year-old Eve was excited and ready for an adventure. Margot sat down with Eve and explained to her why she and Doug had gone through the process of donor insemination. In 1986, after having trouble conceiving on their own, they sought out the help of Dr. Kim McMorris. He was highly regarded by his patients and known as the best fertility doctor in the area. After a few tests, McMorris determined that Doug's sperm had low motility. So, with his help, they chose an anonymous sperm donor. And Margot was specific. She didn't want anyone local. And they did talk about a local donor. And she very quickly said no, because I don't want to be in the grocery store. And then, you know, Joe Schmo walks by. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my kid has Joe's eyes. Is that the biological father? Margot and Doug had chosen a donor through California Cryobank. They knew him only as Donor 106, but Eve wanted to know more. 
So she sent a letter to California Cryobank and asked if they could pass it along to him. A year went by, and then she got a letter back. Donor 106 was a man named Steve. And then it's like, when it became real, I was like, oh my God, now I'm fearful of rejection. She had lost her father, Doug, when she was seven. But now she had a chance to get to know another father, her biological father. They exchanged emails, and then in 2007, Steve flew to Austin to meet her in person. Their father-daughter connection was immediate. I think it really solidified our relationship. We had been talking on the phone, in emails, I mean, really just catching up for the last 18, 19 years. And then it was on that trip that I actually had introduced him as my dad. And after that trip, he was like, hey, you know what? That really meant a lot to me when you introduced me as your dad. And from that moment on, I started calling him dad. When Eve got married in 2013, Steve, the father figure she had met five years earlier and formed this close bond with, he officiated the wedding. And a year later, Eve and her husband welcomed their first child. And then we had our son Hutton and he was so sick from about six weeks on. And so for years, I was so dedicated to his sickness. He had a bunch of surgeries and he was presenting with all these medical mysteries that our doctors could not figure out. By January of 2018, Eve's son had undergone 12 surgeries, most of which were exploratory. And still, the doctors were struggling to diagnose him. So at one point, we were talking to a geneticist, and he asked us to do 23andMe plus health. Eve and her husband both sent in DNA samples, hoping to answer the question that they had been desperately trying to answer. What was making their son so sick? And they would get answers, finally. But the results would also bring a new layer of questions, not just about their son, but about Eve. When Eve and her husband received the results of their genetic testing, they were finally able to help doctors diagnose their son. He got that raw data from that, came back and said, Hutton has celiac disease. And I'm like, what is celiac disease? And so he goes to this whole thing of autoimmune disorders about how it's hereditary. And so I call dad, I call my mom. I'm like, have y'all heard of this? Does anybody in our family have this? And no one was presenting with an autoimmune disorder. Eve and her husband were relieved to have a path forward. At the same time, they were astonished that this hereditary disease didn't seem to be inherited from anyone in their family, including Steve, donor 106. When you send in a sample, your DNA is added to a database that looks at your 20 closest DNA relatives. That means anyone who has also submitted their DNA to an online database will be matched up with people they share DNA with. They'll become part of your family tree. Within just a few months of setting up her 23andMe, Eve got a message. And I get this message on Facebook, and it says half-brother, like, on it, like, hey, I think I'm your half-brother. On the night that Eve received this message, she was on vacation in Aspen with the whole family, including her mother, Margot, and her sister, Joanna. They were watching the movie, I, Tanya. Eve stepped into the other room to read the message. Eve knew it was possible that she might have half-siblings, Her father, Steve, donor 106, told her that he had donated his sperm multiple times. 
Eve assumed that her newly found half-brother Jonathan would want to meet their biological father, Steve, donor 106. Eve offered to put them in touch. But Jonathan declined. He claimed that Steve, donor 106, was not his biological father. In fact, he told Eve that Steve wasn't her father either. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I I know who our biological father is, and it's Kim McMorris. Jonathan claimed that the fertility doctor, Kim McMorris, was actually their biological father. It's like, no. Okay, so... So that's actually our mom's doctor. And so he was the doctor that did the insemination and delivered us. He's not our biological father. It's different. And um, he's like, no, I look just like him. I'm like, okay. Using 23andMe, Eve located a biological cousin that she shared with her half-brother. She asked him if he had an uncle named Steve. It's like, well, I only have one uncle, and his name is Kim McMorris, and he's um, actually from East Texas. When Eve received his reply, it was as if time slowed down, and yet her mind was racing. Her half-brother Jonathan believed Kim McMorris was his father. And then there was this cousin who said his only uncle was named Kim McMorris. Reticent to believe just yet, Eve got to work. She constructed a family map in 23andMe with as many connections as she could find— But in the end, it all led back to one man, Kim McMorris. And I just sat there thinking, oh my God, this is like the last peaceful moment because now it is my responsibility to go and tell. I have to make a choice. I can keep this a family secret or I have to be the one that is inflicting this trauma and this burden on my mom. This family secret that Dr. McMorris had been holding for years was now Eve's secret. It took her 30 years to learn the truth about where she came from, and she wasn't about to keep this secret any longer. She took a deep breath, finished her glass of wine, and walked into the other room. She looked right at her mom and delivered the news. Mom, Mom, I gotta talk to you. Kim McMorris is my dad. It took a moment for Eve's words to settle in the room. Her family was still watching the movie. She's like, what are you talking about? I think she thought that I was drunk or something, honestly. Um, And then my sister is like, hush, like we're trying to watch the show. And so then I just went and turned the lights on. I was like, y'all, this is a big deal. We have a problem. And, And then I told her and she did not believe me, would not believe me. And I had to go through everything of how I found out, you know, every detail. And she told me, and I, I think I literally just, just, sat down or just kind of collapsed because all these things were racing through my mind. All I could think about was Steve and 13 years of a relationship. And I was thinking, what have I done? Why did you think that? What have I done? What did that mean to you at the time? Because I had done the insemination and agreed to it. Even though I never intended for something like that to happen, nevertheless, it did happen. And I felt responsible to some degree. And then I began to think about what Kim McMorris had done. But mainly, my thoughts were with Steve and Eve and that relationship and his family, his kids, the relationship they had. How do you, how do you let something like that happen? Margot's first thought about what had happened to her was how would it impact her daughter, Eve? 
How would it impact the father-daughter relationship she'd formed with Steve, Donor 106, the man who had accepted her as his daughter, the man who officiated her wedding, the man Eve's kids now call Papa? Steve had submitted his own DNA to 23andMe, and Eve knew that soon his results would be in. She wanted to be the one to tell him. I called him, and I'm, again, you know, as I so eloquently do, you're not my real dad. Um, Just (laughs) throwing it out there. No beating around the bush with this one. And then explained it to him. And I don't know if it was five minutes or if it was an hour. And we both just sobbed. And he didn't ask for a lot of information yet. And then at the end of it, he said, um, this changes some things, but it doesn't change much. You're still my daughter. And I think that that is what I needed to hear. So he really put that fear to bed for me because I, I was so worried. Kim McMorris was born on May 21, 1952, in Lubbock, Texas. His father served in World War II and then worked as an engineer. His mother was a teacher. While McMorris was still in medical school, he married his now wife, Debbie, on December 18, 1976. They would later go on to have three children. In 1977, McMorris graduated from the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, followed by an internship and a residency at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center. Then, in 1983, he received his specialty certification in obstetrics and gynecology, and soon after, he opened his practice in Nacogdoches, Texas. For the last 40 years, McMorris received rave reviews from his patients. He'd helped hundreds of people conceive children in East Texas. And now, Eve Wiley was faced with the realization that he was her biological father. This only led to more questions. Why had he used his own sperm? And how many more half-siblings did she have? On February 1st, 2019, Eve wrote a letter to McMorris, confronting him. This is Eve reading part of that letter. Dr. Kim McMorris, My name is Eve Wiley. My mother was a patient of yours, and you helped her get pregnant with me through artificial insemination. In November of 1986, my mother selected sperm donor 106 from California Cryobank. Through genetic testing, I recently learned that I am not biologically related to donor 106, as all records indicated. You can imagine my devastation upon learning that donor 106, Steve, was not really my biological father, especially after all of these years. What is even more surprising to me is that through publicly available genetic testing data, I am biologically related to certain relatives of yours, including someone who connects to me as a first cousin, as well as two half-siblings. In an effort to discover my biological father's identity and understand my genetic connection to you, I'm requesting a phone call with you to better understand this information. Kim McMorris responded to Eve's letter. His response mostly consists of a long, detailed explanation of his office protocols in the 1980s, most of which isn't very relevant to Eve's question about her paternity. He then explains that in some instances, when his patients were not conceiving, he mixed sperm samples together, sometimes mixing in his own sperm. Dr. McMorris told Eve that he donated his sperm while in medical school which was common practice at the time. He claimed that he mixed those past donor straws with the sample from Donor 106 in order to help, quote, activate the sperm. 
for Margot's artificial insemination. This explanation didn't satisfy Eve. First of all, it didn't seem truthful. Why would McMorris return to his alma mater, located in a different city, to collect his old frozen donor samples when his office had donors from a local med school to use if needed? McMorris did not apologize or seem remorseful in any way. What did seem clear is that he thought he would never get caught. He wrote, No one ever considered the effect of genetic testing 32 years later. He added that it had been a pleasure to help her mother conceive. If McMorris truly felt this practice of using his own sperm was ethical, then why did he discourage her from publicly sharing her story? In one of his final letters to Eve, he wrote, I just hope you will be very careful and mindful in the way you proceed. Try not to cause hurt to innocent people in my family, as well as yours. And at this moment, I was still having this really big internal struggle because, I mean, I want to know my biological father. I I felt that. And that was really hard for me because I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I felt like I was sacrificing any type of relationship I could have with him um, for the sake of doing what is morally right. Eve knew that if she spoke up about what McMorris had done, there would be people who blamed her, blamed her for hurting his family members, for hurting his reputation. She knew there would be people who thought that she should just be quiet and feel lucky to be alive. So for me, what that looks like is when I hear people say things like, you should just be grateful to be alive. You are a gift. No one gets to decide how they were born. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. So it's really these usually well-meaning comments that actually make me feel like my feelings, they aren't valid, like I'm not being heard or understood. And it's a way for them to displace their own discomfort. So that's kind of what I talk about when when I'm talking about conception gratitude. It's It often feels very marginalizing for someone like me. Like my feelings are not valid. I don't have a right to feel this way. I shouldn't be upset around the deception around my conception. I think that it feels like a justification and it feels like this person is siding with a doctor and they're not truly understanding or acknowledging all the complexities or the difficulty. On one hand, I'm like, yes, you're right. I am so grateful to be alive, but that's not what I'm talking about. This isn't about being grateful to be alive. This is about fertility fraud. And Eve wanted to hold McMorris accountable. But surprisingly, in the eyes of the law, he'd committed no crime. It is baffling, but true. What McMorris did was not illegal at the time that he did it. Genetic testing was still decades off, and there was no reason to suspect that doctors were violating their patients by inseminating them with their own sperm. Therefore, there were no laws in place to protect against it. What we know is that McMorris did not tell his staff or his patients that he was doing this. So perhaps on some level, he knew that they would not be okay with it. McMorris wanted Eve to keep his secret, but Eve had had enough with secrets. She knew that she had to expose McMorris. She also knew that once she did that, her life would never be the same again. On May 3rd, 2019, Eve shared her story with the world. So the story actually broke with 2020 because, again, I was like, how am I going to get this information out there? You know, I I guess I could get a billboard, but I I need people to know about this. And and I didn't know the scope of the problem.
Eve Wiley told her story on ABC's 2020. The episode aired in May of 2019, and support for Eve flooded in from around the world. For me, in order for me to really heal for this, and that's just how I am, I just I have to do something. I have to I have to find a purpose with it. There's a purpose in the pain. I have to do something with this. I could not just put this on the shelf. And I had to make a choice because I could put my head in the sand. I could come forward. And I felt that when I came to that fork in the road, this is not my information to keep. And my son went through 12 surgeries. Most of them were exploratory and unnecessary. Something as simple as having access to her biological parents' medical history would have helped the doctors figure out what was wrong with Eve's son so much faster. Maybe he wouldn't have had to have 12 exploratory surgeries. What if I had half-siblings that themselves were struggling or their children, and, and I was the one that had this key of the medical mystery, and I don't have access to East Texas. And so the only way that I knew how to get this information to any potential half-siblings was to shake the tree and to see what fell out. Her instincts were right. And a few months after the 2020 episode aired, Eve connected with another half-sibling. My name is Jessica Stavina, and I'm a product of fertility fraud. Eve told Jessica everything that she had learned about McMorries. And the sisters realized that they shared something else. They both had children experiencing health problems. And Jessica herself also lives with an autoimmune disorder that she only found out after pursuing genetic testing. And I have emailed him several times because I needed important health information um, for my son. He was having some health issues and we needed that and he wouldn't even give me that. Someone with a family history of heart disease or breast cancer would benefit greatly from knowing their family medical history. In fact, having access to your medical history in some situations can actually mean the difference between life and death. Another one of Eve and Jessica's half-siblings who wants to remain anonymous eventually turned to genetic testing as well. Her newborn baby suffered from health issues that the doctors could not figure out. We have a half-sister that her baby died just a few months old because of undiagnosed health conditions. And had we had some of the health information, I feel like there, there could have been a chance that could still be alive. And we have another half-brother whose wife just had a baby a few months back and has literally lived in the NICU, had to have, you know, speeding tube and this G-tube put in. And, I mean, he, he literally is just months old and he's hooked up to all these machines. Without the map that a genetic history provides, doctors look for anything and everything that could be wrong. With a baby in the NICU, like in this situation, it becomes a race against the clock. The doctors have to perform numerous tests and procedures in an attempt to identify the issue. Jessica and Eve have both requested medical records from Dr. McMorris. It's like pulling teeth to get answers and we're like, you know, finding our way through the dark. And if something happens to that baby, you know, I'm like, he, he just would not, it's nothing to him, you know? And, and I don't know why he thinks that it's okay to at least We know you. We know who you are. We know what you did. Why can't, at a minimum, we just have that information? Eve was eventually contacted by yet another half-sibling, a woman who was also donor-conceived. She wishes to remain anonymous, and it's easy to understand why. 
She still lives in the Nacogdoches area, and for years she worked as a nurse in the same hospital as the man she later found out was her biological father, Kim McMorris. But this discovery was disturbing for yet another reason. For many years, McMorris had also been her gynecologist. She works in the same hospital as our brother and our biological father. He was her gynecologist for several years. She'll be scrubbing in for a surgery as he's scrubbing out. She sees them all the time. And she was terrified that um, for people to know this because she was worried about what he may do to her career. McMorris employed a small staff at his practice. Eve eventually connected with a nurse who had worked for McMorris in the 1980s. This nurse wishes to remain anonymous. But she told Eve a disturbing story about something that happened one day at work. A patient had come in for an artificial insemination appointment, but the nurse realized they didn't have any sperm straws on hand in the office. So she approached Dr. McMorris about the issue. They had come back from lunch. They had a patient in there and they were like, hey, we don't have a sample. Um, and, and she did say that there were local donors. There were at least two. And um, he went and he's let me call the hospital. He goes in to call the hospital and then he comes out, hands her the cup. And she was like, it immediately hit my hand and it was warm. And she's like, and that's when I knew. Beyond the emotional repercussions faced by those McMorris violated, there are logistical problems. Remember, this is a small town. If you have family members in the area, it's important to know that. This is what we're talking about when we talk about biodiversity. The concern of biodiversity and accidental incest. And then who are the other ones? McMorris won't tell us how many are out there. All he says is, well, I wish I had my medical notes. And, you know, at first it was one to two, and then it was five. I don't think he knows. Or maybe he does have a little black book somewhere, and he's just ticking them off every time we find a new one. Eve testified before the Texas legislature in 2019 and was instrumental in lobbying for a new law that classifies fertility fraud as sexual assault, which is a felony. The law passed unanimously, making Texas the first state to have a law like this. The law is not retroactive, so it does not affect McMorris. But this wasn't going to stop Eve and Jessica from holding him accountable. This is Jessica Stavina again. At this point, I can't be quiet. I can help make changes or I can push for changes, right? Because I do not want another soul on this planet, no matter how evil or bad they are. Like, I don't want this to be someone else's story because it's awful. With the help of an attorney named Jody Madeira, who specializes in studying fertility fraud, they contacted the Texas Medical Board, the board that issued McMorris his medical license. There was just so little we could do in Texas itself, right? Unfortunately, Texas only has 10 years in which you can bring a lawsuit. It doesn't change if the doctor committed fraud and prevented you from discovering what you would otherwise sue him for. It doesn't matter. So uh, Eve's case and that of her mother were way beyond that window. They could not bring a lawsuit, but they could go after his medical license. Jody Madeira filed a complaint against McMorris with the Texas Medical Board. And in September of 2020, the board held a virtual hearing in response to the complaint. Just the look in his eyes during the entire hearing, he like had this smirk this whole time. And just no empathy for what he did, no remorse, like just none of that, just cold. 
McMorris responded to the complaint against him by filing a restraining order against the Texas Medical Board, stating that because the complaint addressed his actions over 20 years ago, the board has no grounds for involvement. Jody Madeira has spent years researching fertility fraud. Unfortunately, McMorris is not the only fertility doctor who used his own sperm to inseminate patients without their knowledge. I think we're aware of between 40 and 50 doctors around the world at this point. I asked Jody if these doctors ever fit a specific profile, if she had any insight as to why they did it. Um, some of the doctors say strange things when you ask them about their motivations for committing these acts. Um, for example, Donald Klein told eight of his doctor-conceived children that he knew them in their mother's womb, quoting the Bible. He also said that I believe he did the fertility fraud to um, seek atonement for abortions that he had committed in the 1970s. McMorris has never answered the question of why. And probably the answer is layered. But Margot Williams, Eve's mother, offered one possible explanation. How did the payment structure work? Yeah, you bought a straw and you paid one price for that. And every time you had to go back for more, you just paid the price for that straw. Maybe it was $300 a straw back then, but that was a lot of money back then. Now, if you go to buy it, it's over $1,000 a straw. So he's saving quite a bit. And just imagine he had many patients and he was getting $300 per patient extra. It did add up. Another possibility is that he liked to play God and he seemed to believe that his sperm was superior to other sperm. In fact, at one point, McMorris tried to convince Eve's mother, Margot to choose a local donor. This is Eve. And that was the conversation where she said, no, because I don't know, I don't know who your local donors are. I don't want a local donor. And he had said to her, which is so gross, he's like, we have a donor that we call the bull. And that's his most successful donor. And it's a local donor. Now, I firmly believe that he was talking about himself. Which is so gross. Although the Texas Medical Board has not yet revoked McMorris' medical license, McMorris retired soon after the complaint was filed. Instead, his son Kyle McMorris has taken over the practice. Kyle has never publicly condemned his father's actions. This is Jessica again. I get it. You know, if my dad, which he did, because he's my dad, did this, I would feel embarrassed. I would feel hurt. You know, I, I would feel a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I would make the right decision to, you know, do the right thing, ultimately. But his oldest son, Kyle, still runs the practice there in Nacogdoches. And, and I honestly, like, I just wonder how he feels about it. Kim McMorris is a particular kind of cruel, a conniving and sneaky abuser. Patients trusted him to take care of their bodies, and he offered them the illusion of agency. Patients believed they had a choice to decide this very basic thing. They had the final say on the sperm that was put inside of their bodies. In actuality, they had no agency. They had no choice. Kim McMorris took that choice away from them. I asked Margot if there was anything that she would say to Kim McMorris if he were listening to this. I have thought about that. And what do you say to him at this point? You know, I don't understand him. I don't understand how you could have all these children out here and you seem to be absolutely emotionless 
when it comes to these children. Shame on you. That's what I would say to him. Kim McMorris deceptively fathered at least 10 children by way of artificially inseminating his patients with his own sperm. As for Eve and Jessica, they're close, and they're working together to keep fertility fraud in the headlines and help push legislation forward across the country. They want to make sure doctors like Kim McMorris can no longer freely abuse the trust of their patients. To date, Texas and Indiana have both passed laws criminalizing fertility fraud, Physicians who break this law could be subject to jail time and fines up to $10,000. California has a statute stating that it is illegal to use any reproductive material for any purpose outside of what is on a signed consent form. And in March of 2021, Arizona adopted legislation that allows lawsuits against any fertility doctor who secretly uses their own sperm or ovum to impregnate someone. We reached out to Kim McMorris for this episode. He did not get back to us. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Pesha Eaton, Natalie Gregory, and Kate Mays. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. Cover art is by Arvin Lee. Special thanks to Aaron Rubin Corney. Our theme song is Waltz for Zachariah on the album Show Late by Blue Dot Sessions. You can reach out to us at any time at theopportunist at castmedia.com. Cast with a K. enjoying the opportunist would you take a moment and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts really does help our show a lot so we're very appreciative of all the ratings and reviews thank you all so much and you know what thanks so much for listening we couldn't make the show without you bomba's mission is simple make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated so when you buy bombas you are also giving to someone in need Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Go to bombas.com slash OPP and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash OPP for 20% off. Bombas.com slash OPP. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.